Just one person can ensure every Metroid is in captivity and the galaxy is at peace. And she's back, baby, she's back! Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we talk about Metroid Prime Remastered, the Nintendo Switch version of a 2002 GameCube game that is perfect in every way. It's a stone-cold classic. You should be playing it right now. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 It's us. Hey. We are In back a once good again. mood, folks. Ready to talk about a cool game. Yeah. yeah. Been in a really good, good mood. game. Maddie, you're smiling even more than you usually are. I'm so are. excited about <laughs> my life because I've been playing Metroid all week and now everybody's playing Metroid all week. Everybody in my life. Maybe there are other people playing some other video game, but I don't care about it. I don't know about no. it. I don't acknowledge it. Just Every Metroid, Metroid, all the, the way down. Playing Metroid. <laughs> okay, that but, other game just add, just adds up for people. Well, we will be talking about <laughs> another another big game what, next what week. What other game? But for now, no, you're talking now about. we're just gonna bask in the pure joy. <laughs> all I know of is Metroid. Metroid. Today, yeah. today we're just basking. We're basking, guys. We're basking. Talon Four. My whole world is Talon Four. Nothing else exists. I Nothing will say it's exists. hilarious that the three of us were like, we're recording this before Nintendo yes. Direct, so if there's a Metroid yeah. Prime surprise remaster mm-hmm. announcement, we won't know we about it. We won't be able to talk about it. We did, and we did say something about Hollow Knight. Pour one out. Maybe yeah. it'll return mm-hmm. someday. Mm-hmm. But, we just got to um, keep saying this. I mean, we are the ones who made it yes, happen. So we're just manifesting keep doing it. it. We just have to keep saying the names of games yeah. that we want to appear. I think. That's also, how you're it works. welcome, everyone. You're welcome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A big year. We do it for the gamers. The, the lower Yeah, I'm patting myself on the back. Because we achieved something. It wasn't Nintendo. It wasn't Retro Studios. No. It was actually the three of us. Mm-hmm. And if that's the kind of thing you want to support, us manifesting video games we want to play, then and also this podcast, which is listener supported, you could support sure. that too. I, I would say that something you could do is go to maximumfun.org/join, and you could become a member of our fine podcasting network. And you could support our show. You could also support other shows. But regardless of which shows you choose to become a supporter of, you get access to a bonus feed with everybody's episodes. And part of why I say that is because I know that I'm going to guest on another show's bonus episode. I'll probably mention it on this show whenever it comes out. But you get access to the triple click bonus feed. And I will say we do an episode every month. And this month we are going to do a beans cast. We're going to spill the beans, spoil uh, several Ryan Johnson outings. I was going to say right. movies. Not all movies, But we're including though. the first five episodes of Poker Face in this, a show we're all watching. And we're also going to talk about Knives Out, Glass Onion, and Brick, which is mm-hmm. a movie I saw in high school and was freaking obsessed with. And can't wait to talk about it again with the two of you. Nice. So if you, the listener, want to hear us talk about that, well, you simply have to become a Max Fund member to do it. That them's the breaks. That's but hey, goes. you're already here. So you, you get to listen to, to this this episode, which is about Metroid Prime Remastered. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited, too. As soon as Nintendo... <laughs> we all watched the Direct on Wednesday, and Nintendo's surprise dropped the Metroid remaster. That day! And it's basically... Even though they're calling it a remaster, it's basically a remake, as we'll get into shortly. It's a visual but remake we were like, least. That day, we decided to pivot, and we were like, whatever we were planning to talk about this week, screw that, we're talking about Metroid. 
That's yeah, right. Here we go. Maddie, take us away. Here we go. I didn't prepare a statement. I was too excited. It's fine. I don't even know where to begin. I've played Metroid Prime 1 multiple times in my life. Most recently in December. Right. You <laughs> talked about it on this very podcast. Ago, I uh-huh, played it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Talked about it on this very show. Played it on my Steam Deck. Loved it. Played a version with updated visuals uh, created yes. by fans. So Prime I actually hack, played yes, Prime known. Hack and Twin Stick Controls. And I thought to myself, boy, it'd be cool if this was on the Switch. <laughs> and I think at the time, Jason, you were like, well, what if they release it like right now? What are you going to do? Buy it again? And I said, yes. And you were like, are you going to play it again? And I said, yes. And that's 100% accurate. I'm about halfway through it. I'm playing it again. It's going great, possibly because I just played it. So I remember right. where everything is. So I feel like a freaking mastermind just zooming do around. Set, do you want to explain for people a <laughs> oh, little what's bit about Metroid? Metroid Should Prime? I tell people what it is? Sure. Why not? Uh, so <laughs> Metroid Prime, very first Metroid Prime game. So this is a game that was actually made by an American studio called Retro Studios uh, in association with Nintendo. It is sort of dubiously canon. I, I would say it's canon more or less, but it is a side story about Samus Aran who's probably better known by the average listener for being in a, a bunch of 2D platformer games, uh, most of which were made by or affiliated with this guy named Yoshio Sakamoto. He's the person who headed up development on Metroid Dread, which we talked about a lot. Also a 2D collectathon platformer. You play a Samus Aran intergalactic bounty hunter and fight aliens on various planets, most notably Metroids, who are life-sucking aliens who are also kind of cute when they're babies, and <laughs> also lots of lots and lots of other aliens of varying levels of toughness and terrifyingness. And Metroid Prime is interesting because it is not a 2D puzzle platformer. It is a first-person shooter, and it feels pretty different from the other Metroid games because of that. Uh, The first version of it came out in November 2002 for the GameCube, and the controls were pretty rough. I actually did not play it back then. I didn't play the Prime games until 2007 when Metroid Prime 3 came out. That was actually the first one I played, and that one had motion controls. You had to point your Wiimote at the screen in order to aim that arm cannon that Samus has on her arm. Also kind of annoying, but still way better than the original GameCube controls, which I haven't even... Uh, this this remastered version does include them. I haven't even tried them because I know I don't like them, but you, you can't move and shoot at the same time. It's kind of like a weird point-and-click adventure game when you go into shooting mode, but... Um, Listeners may recall the early 2000s, twin stick shooters were not as popular then. I want to say Halo 1 also came out in 2002 and was like mm-hmm. the first and perhaps most notable twin stick shooter of the era. That same era. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't Resident it wasn't Evil 4 typical. also had the same problem. Yes. That's kind of like. Uh, Although it's at least an over the shoulder shooter. So I feel like it is a little bit different visually uh, as opposed yeah, to Yeah, but it's the same person. problem in terms yeah, yeah, of yeah. not being able to move and shoot. It was a very common problem, and I think people even recognized it back then as a problem. It's just oh, that, yeah. like, you, they didn't really, I don't know, we didn't have the same sort of... We didn't uh, trust that people could move the camera design. on a different joystick than the one that 
they were walking I mean, on. PC gamers had a solution to this that had been true for quite a while. But what? <laughs> yeah, but we're talking controllers. Of Shut course. up. We're not talking. I know, but there you. were there were video games where you could move and shoot at the same time. In fact, no, there were quite a there few. Kirk, the way you say games. that is so. The way you say that is what is the way is the thing that makes people hate PC gamers. Like, oh, well, PC gamers. Well, there was WASD and Mike. Um, actually, Half Life came out uh, several uh, years before uh, that. Uh. No one cares. No one cares. <laughs> It's fine. Anyway, uh, the Wiimote version of Prime 3 was satisfying enough that they actually put out the entire Prime trilogy in 2009 with updated Wii controls for all three of the games. That is the version of the game that Prime Hack is built upon, and it has twin stick shooter controls. You can even play it with mouse and keyboard if you want to. Mm-hmm. Prime uh, Hack being what you talked about in December. That's correct. Prime Hack mm-hmm. being the fan-made version with you know updated textures if you want to download those. But forget all of that. Who cares? Nintendo <laughs> actually finally did the thing that I've been begging them to do for years which is put out Metroid Prime Remastered on the Nintendo Switch. And then they didn't even make me wait for it. They announced it at the Nintendo Direct and they were like, they looked into the screen and they were like, Maddie Myers, get ready to refresh the Nintendo eShop because this is coming out later today. We're not gonna put a timestamp on it. We're just gonna say the words later today, which is just a thing Nintendo does because they wanna make me feel insane. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it came out in like an hour and then I bought it and then I installed it and I've been playing it ever since. But I wanna hear from you two (laughs) how it's been going. I love this video game. I could probably talk about it for the rest of my life, but I'm gonna try to limit it to just one episode of this show. Kirk, why don't we start with you? Uh, what's your experience with Metroid Prime? I was just planning on just letting you talk the whole I mean, I was like, I want to just hear what Maddie thinks of Metroid for this whole time. I can just I mean, kick back. Yeah. Um, that would be that would be a pretty entertaining podcast. No, I'm excited to talk about this game too because I love it. Um, I do not have your storied history with this series, but mm-hmm. I have played my share of Metroid and I've played my share of this game. So I first played this in, I want to say 2013 maybe 2012, along with Steven Totillo, all of our former boss over at mm-hmm. Kotaku. He loves this game and was always trying to get me to play it. And um, I don't know, we came up with the idea of sort of I'd play through it and talk about it with him and write some articles. And so I did. And I played through maybe 75% of it or so, playing on the Wii U, but playing the Wii, um, mm-hmm. the trilogy for Wii version, which, as you said, is kind of the version that most people play now, the basis for Prime Hack. And um, yeah, I was playing with the Wii mode. Most people play before a week ago. Yes. Oh, yes. Now, um, now well, of course, they're playing. Still, this most version. people play for Metroid Prime 2 and 3. Um, That's yeah. true. Since, since the remake only exists for the first Metroid Prime. So, yeah, I played through with the Wii mode. Uh, never really loved the controls, but came to understand this game's language, its sort of gameplay language, which is pretty distinct. It still feels kind of distinct all these years later. And so I, I played a bunch of it, um, kind of forgot it. Then when I got a Steam Deck, um, among other things, I was like, I'm going to get Prime Hack working and uh, and got it working. And it was pretty cool and started playing it again. And was actually planning to play through it, especially after you talked about it, Maddie, mm-hmm. and just kind of didn't get around to it, which I'm glad for because... Because <laughs> a mere two months later. <laughs> yeah, really soon, really soon after it came out. Um, Nintendo sent me a code for this one and I, I would have bought it anyways, but I, I just kind of installed it thinking, okay, you know, I'll check this out. We'll see what's what. Right, because it was right when it came out, they just sent out codes to Mm -hmm. to press. And I just installed it. Sure, I haven't played anything on my Switch in forever because of the Steam Deck. And I started playing it. And it was that 
that same feeling I actually talked about last week with Dead Space Remake, where yep. your brain tells you that this is how the game always looked, yes. even though it definitely didn't. Yeah. And then the more I played, the more I had that that thought of just, this looks, wait, this looks amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of was going back and looking at what, what the original game looked like. And I'm just, now I've played a whole ton of this game. I was traveling this weekend and just took my Switch with me. And it looks so good. I mean, it plays almost, as far as I can tell, identically to mm-hmm. the original. I'm sure there are maybe some tiny tweaks, but it plays so similarly. But it looks so Beautiful. I am really amazed by how much work they put into the visual remaster of this game. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. I mean, it's just what a great way to play a great game. Yeah. Jason, how about you? Is this your first time with Metroid Prime? No, I played it on GameCube back in the day. And then I played Metroid Prime 3. I skipped 2 and I played 3 on the Wii and then I played Mm -hmm. the trilogy on the Wii. Um, Still didn't play 2, but I played one and three so i remember a a decent amount of metroid prime one including how kind of annoying i find some aspects of it like oh sure i'm willing to admit there are some very annoying power-ups to obtain and and the various scenarios but go on so i have found that i very very heavily prefer the 2d games to the 3d games especially Mm -hmm. in the wake of metroid dread which is one of my favorite games of 2021 me too Um, me too and so i appreciate metroid prime quite a bit and i appreciate a lot of its design and its ideas and stuff but there's some things about it that just really annoy me including um all the backtracking and the kind of the the interface um uh, the kind of the the sense that sometimes you don't uh know which way you should be going or what you should be doing at any given point which can be fun and satisfying in some ways but i often find frustrating in this game for some reason mm-hmm. um that said, there's a lot I love about it, too, and I really love the kind of classic Metroidness of it and going around and getting new abilities and watching Samus gradually get more powerful, and the shooting feels great, and um, I think uh, using Samus's blast cannon is a lot more fun than most other shooter-like weapons, especially mm-hmm. the more realistic ones. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um And uh, this remaster specifically is just, it rules. It's just so well done. Um, It looks incredible. It feels really great. This is the best feeling that a Metroid Prime has ever, the best that a Metroid Prime game has ever felt because of the twin stick stuff that we talked about earlier. And yeah, it's just a really enjoyable experience. I'm remembering uh, the whole Z-locking thing and and smacking down enemies. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just just been a blast to play through it, as annoying as it is that you get all those abilities at the beginning that the game teaches you how to do, and then you immediately lose. Um, But we can get into that in a little bit and how stupid uh, that concept is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But overall, it's just such a well-made game that I feel like it's it's a must-play for anyone who hasn't played one of these games mm-hmm. um, especially if you like other Metroid games or other style of this of this other Metroid style games yeah or even if you just like first person shooters like if you played Halo way back when but you never played this for whatever reason didn't have a GameCube who knows I feel like a lot of people are playing it for the first time which has been really fun to see there mm-hmm. are many things about it that feel dated but to me also nostalgic and familiar 
there's a lot of reading of text logs in this game, which is yeah, something that's that... <laughs> another thing that's frustrating is having yeah. to do this scanning. So one thing I, I just want to make one quick point, uh, real quick. Um, yeah, other than that annoying waiting for the friggin' scan to having to equip the visor scan, it's it's a little frustrating. You gotta but... translate the space pirate language. The yeah, Chozo gotta language. do that. Oh gotta yeah, gotta read that translation. <laughs> one thing I found a little just to kind of clarify why I prefer 2D over 3D. 3D is that kind of a typical 2D um, level in Metroid is so much easier to grasp and figure out exactly like where you are in relation to everything else. And having a 2D map is way easier to scan and kind of be like, oh, yes, OK, I have to go backtrack to that part because now I have the bombs, the 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 morphability bombs. So now I can go unlock this section over here that I went to a few screens ago, whereas in 3D, because of the way that the space works and at least the way my mind works, but I'm sure the way a lot of people's mind works, it's a lot harder for me to just kind of grasp the physical space and the map and remember where everything is. And I just really prefer 2D games of this style um, for that reason. It's just like it's so much easier to figure out what the space is and kind of map it in your head and enjoy the feeling of backtracking as opposed to just kind of being like, all right, I guess I'll just like try to figure out this map and just like open a bunch of doors until I figure out where where I need to go next. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, yeah, in general, just the 2D formula works a lot better for me i think i agree but only with regard to changing maps like in this game not every map is interconnected but you can't see all of them at the same time as you can Mm -hmm. in a 2d game where you you as you open up a map for example in 2d you're like okay i still see like this lava section and once i get the various suit i know i need to go back to the lava section or maybe you see like you know the outdoor section and you're like okay that's where my ship is and you can see all of that on the map screen as you unlock it whereas in this game if you're in magmar caverns you cannot see the fendriad drifts or whatever the heck you can't see anything else you can only see magmar where you are right then and there are like multiple parts of it and multiple elevators which is typical of any metroid game but you can only see the section of the map that you're in so you might be able to look through it and be like oh okay there's a purple door i just got the wave beam i can finally go unlock that but you might not be thinking to yourself oh but where are all the purple doors in the talon five four section of the map because you can't even see that right then you have to go all the way back that part of it jason i do agree with you and yet i also think that if you could see every single map the hugeness of the game would probably be even more overwhelming i'm not (laughs) i'm not sure how you would solve for that but it is something that makes the game feel both bigger in a cool way and also kind of annoying because you have to walk back to elevators a lot and you don't really know if you're going with good reason or if you're just kind of exploring to see if there's anything more you can unlock. Yeah. I've found that as I'm playing, I I run into something where I'll not remember exactly what it was that stopped Mm -hmm. me in a certain area. And if I recall correctly, maybe one of the two of you remembers this better. Did Metroid Dread tell you every single thing, you know, every single gating mechanism in the game on the map? I think I think it was the same as this game where as you got new abilities, the doors would then be marked on the map wave beam, for example. But up until you mm-hmm. got the wave beam, you would just see a purple door and you wouldn't know that it's the wave beam that can open it. Do you yeah, know what I'm saying? But I you do. would I see guess... that there was a new kind of door there. But again, you wouldn't be able to see that until you were in the correct but... area to correspond with the relevant map. 
just to be a little clearer about what I'm talking about, I'm not even necessarily talking about the map. Um, it's also the way that my head works. Like it's much easier for me to physically grasp a 2D space and understand the layout and like really feel like I'm mastering it as opposed to a 3D space where it feels more like I'm just like throwing darts at a wall trying to figure out what's so, going on. So mm-hmm. I have a thought on that, but I guess I was just establishing that baseline. Like the way uh, one way that Dread is different is that it tells you that, and this is just on my own experience, not really responding to you, Jason. My experience is that I will frequently go back to a dead end, having forgotten that what I need here is the double jump or what I need mm-hmm. here is the spider the ball. Same. Right. And I'll be like, oh, right. I thought that I, so I just got the, you know, whatever the boost ball. And I thought that yeah, would get yeah, me here. Yeah. But no, this there's mm-hmm. a half pipe here. It's a spider yep. ball. I forgot. Okay. And now I got to go back. And you take a lot of time. So like, I do find myself doing a kind of pointless backtrack to some areas because the me map too. doesn't tell me that I can't make a note on the map or whatever. So I just sort of don't don't know where I'm supposed to be going. Yeah, that was something cool about Dread, too, was that you could leave little markers on the map, Mm -hmm, and I have mm -hmm. wished that I had that ability in this game, too. And that there were a few more save points. I mean, there are are some very 2002 aspects of this game, and the lack of save points is one of them. I was shocked by the autosaving in Dread, which I think I mentioned on our episode. Just that alone made it feel so easy to me mm-hmm. because I was just like used to a Metroid game punishing me and being like, no, you have to go all the way back to a save point, like Dark Souls style. Like you got to like remember where every bonfire is and you're going to fight the same six guys over and over again. Like that's part of why playing Dark Souls didn't feel too bad to me. And when I was first playing it, I was like, oh, this is just Metroid. Like this is fine. Like I'm just going to fight these same guys over and over again, you know? Yeah. So, um, to, to actually talk about Dark Souls, I think mm-hmm. Dark Souls is an interesting comparison point because it always is. How many times yeah. have I said that it sentence? It always is. Every yeah. time. Um, but of course, <laughs> it is particularly to this game because it, when you start playing this game, if you have played Dark Souls, you will have the thought of, oh, there's sort of a lot of Dark Souls in this, or rather there's a lot of Metroid Prime in, in Dark, Dark Souls. Souls. Yeah. And uh, one difference in the way that the world works, because both are 3D games, both require you to traverse them, and eventually, you know, give, like Dark Souls gives you some sort of fast travel, but a lot of the Dark Souls experience doesn't have fast travel, and you do have to backtrack. But there is one difference, and I wonder what the two of you make of it, and that's that in Dark Souls, you're always getting something out of backtracking, because first off, you're always challenged, and you kind of generally have to engage with it but also you're getting xp for the enemies Mm -hmm. that you kill so if even if you are just kind of going back over an area you've been over a bunch of times you're probably not going to find any secrets or anything but you might get some good drops and you might get Mm -hmm. some xp it doesn't feel like a waste of time right Mm -hmm. it it gives you a little something um, and metroid doesn't give that plus a lot of the areas in metroid are pretty easy like this game doesn't really offer a challenge in the way that dark souls does so it's also just not really engaging in that same way so the backtracking feels a little bit more tedious mm-hmm. as a result yeah it does although every now and then you might find a missile expansion yes or an energy that is upgrade, the exception which also feels very of its time where it's like that's that's as good as the drops ever get i mean it's not an rpg it's not there are no souls no, right, to be collected right. So there is that. It is. And I do get the sense that the game is is actually fairly linear. Now that I've played enough of it, I'm sort of paying attention. You Mm -hmm. can kind of go back and get stuff out of order. I just got the wave blaster. Is that what it's called? Where you have to knock down those pillars. I love that's such a good puzzle. Yeah. Um, And that I think you can do really at any 
point, maybe you just need to have enough missiles, but I, I don't think there's really that much more you have to do. Maybe bombs for your like ball mm-hmm. bombs, but that's it. Um, so there are some things you can go do optionally, but generally it's kind of like you play through an area, you fight a boss, there's a new lift that takes you up to a new part of a previous area that you couldn't access. And then on your way from that area to the next place you're supposed to go, there's like a missile, you know, container that you couldn't reach before. And I mm-hmm. love the audio cues for those two. You can hear them. It's all very organically designed. And then it is funny that they give you these tips or these hints where every now and then your scanner just goes, hey, hey. Check it out. And then you press square. And it's like, go over here. That's over there. Go to that thing. That's where yeah. your next power up is. Those are great because I frequently have no idea where I'm supposed to go. Oh, yeah. And even having played this game before. And I almost wish that this game gave you the option to do those whenever you want, like to just mm, ask like for it. Like give me a hint. Yeah. 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 It feels a little like there are times where I'm just waiting for it. But instead it's like story gated where it's like, oh, you're suddenly getting some new data. Like you're getting an right. email from the planet. That's like, it's like your suit or whatever. There's yeah. some space pirate stuff going on in Talon right now. So you better head mm-hmm. on back over there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always like weirdly convenient. I I don't think it yeah. I don't think it would really work if you could request the hint oh, because really? I, I feel like so. it well having played it twice I feel like the hints happen when you've just done something most of the time or like you're just hmm. far enough away that the game starts to be like wait <laughs> Yeah, there's there's something to that. Yeah, they're they're paced on some sort of timer. I mean, it definitely knows. Okay, you haven't found it yet. We're gonna tell mm-hmm. you. And I, yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. It totally works. Like like all of this game, it's very organic and kind of behind the scenes, you know, to make sure that you're having a smooth experience. Um, there, there's just like been a couple times where. I wish that that was a little, maybe they just happened a little bit more frequently because it is possible <laughs> yeah. to kind of get all the way to the wrong side of the map. And uh-huh. then there's just, it, it is a little bit of that feeling of, ah, I have to I have go to all go this all way, way back. back and unlike in Dark Souls where I'm kind of like, well, but that's cool because I'm really powerful now. It'll be fun to go through these areas again and maybe I'll get some good drop or I'll get a level mm-hmm. out of it. There's kind of just nothing. I just have to kind of run past everything, which is just a little bit less satisfying. It does feel like we're being critical of this fantastic game, though. Can it's I perfect say, in every way. <laughs> this game is so timeless. I mean, it's remarkable how modern it feels. It it has made me reflect on the one thing that Nintendo didn't have down at the dawn of the 3D age, which is the camera. I guess I'm not the mm-hmm. first person to say this, but if you play Mario, like Super Mario World, mm-hmm. it feels just as good as any 2D platformer that comes out right now. They mm-hmm. had it nailed all of those years ago. And, it's, and I would argue Super Metroid is much the same. I mean, it's right. like, still pretty freaking um, good. Yeah. Right. So, right. The 2D thing was pretty nailed. And they just didn't quite have the how to navigate a 3D space down because no one really did when it came to controllers. Like I said, PC games had figured it out with the mouse. Um, and everyone wanted, like, that language existed. And no one could quite crack how to get that onto a controller, partly because the controllers didn't have the capability, right? Like, there was just one thumbstick on the Nintendo mm-hmm. 64 controller. But also, even when Halo came out, I remember it being a big learning curve for me and everyone. Yes. I know, anecdotally, and I for know sure. we weren't the only ones. Just the idea of having to control both of those sticks at the same time was very, like, you know, rubbing your stomach and patting your head at the same time. Like, yes, you can do it, but you do need to practice it a little bit. And mm-hmm. then figure it out. And now it's it's normal for the, the average gamer, but it still is like a big learning curve for somebody who's new to games, like figuring right. out it how was, to control the camera and It was a hard thing move. to figure 
It was a hard thing to figure out, and um, they're just. It was like a period of time where just little things like the acceleration curve and the dead zone of the stick. There were all these things that people just kind of figured out. So now that that's worked out, because the twin stick controls in this game are fantastic, playing Amazing. it just feels like playing a modern game. I mean, this could be a game that just came out right now, and it's a brand new game. And we would, you know, we'd have some criticisms of it, and be like, oh, that mm-hmm. thing, that is like, kind wow, of frustrating. Really, no auto saving? That's kind of weird. But we yeah. would be like, this is such a beautifully designed. Evocative, fantastic, fun game. It's it's remarkable that a game from literally twenty one years ago feels as timeless it's as it's pretty it does. wild. It's pretty wild and it's pretty great. And I'm so happy. The the story <laughs> is actually really I think the story really holds up well because oh, it's yeah. so mysterious and evocative mm-hmm. and very soulsy, very obviously Dark Souls is very yep. heavily inspired by it. Um Different kind of environmental. Yeah. You can ignore all the text, much like in Dark Souls, you if you want to, it. and you'll still get it. You can also it. try to piece it together, and the environment, I mean, it's very, very different than a lot of modern games in that it's all kind of told through the annoying scanner mechanic. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you get invested into it, and obviously there have been all sorts of theories over the years about the Chozo and the Phazon and all the other, mm-hmm. all the other shit that's crammed in there. Yeah, which is really cool to me. I I really like, I mean, I'll agree scanning stuff in the motion of it is annoying, like waiting for it to unlock. But the fact that It's only that really Samus, an issue when you walk into a room full of computers yeah. and there's like 65 <laughs> things to scan. That's when I'm a little like, yeah. oh my God, okay. But most yeah, of the time yeah, yeah. I actually like scanning. Well, it's annoying. It's an issue because of the extra button. Like if you could just press one button to scan, it would be much more um, like palatable. Um, if but you have to like you have open to press, up your detective right. mode and then yeah you have to go into you have to put on the visor and then press a button it just adds this clunky extra step to the process anyway sorry Maddie just wanted to say like <laughs> I actually do like scanning mostly but there are the times where there's just a hundred things to scan and it's a little bit no much. I totally but agree yeah. and and it's sometimes like oh did I already read this or not and there isn't like a clear delineation of what you've already read and haven't read not ideal but. I do really like the actual story and how uninviting parts of it can be. Like sometimes Mm. you're really just reading a lab report or like a fragment of something (laughs) from the Chozo and you're like, I kind of know what this means, but I don't totally know. Like, okay, I get it. Phazon is bad, I guess, but how did it get here? And then you kind of learn more about that and you're like, okay, there's this apocalyptic event that happened where this mysterious, you know, stuff from this other planet showed up here and mm-hmm. caused goo. caused a bunch of bad stuff to happen to the Chozo and okay but then the space pirates are studying it that seems bad why would they be doing that I, I don't know you just you just kind of have to piece those fragments together and I I really enjoy that method of storytelling I it's simple but you don't really need it to be much more complicated it lets Samus feel like a detective and a scientist in addition to you know a bounty hunter and all the other stuff she's doing and and a real explorer like she really is having to put together the pieces of a mystery and i really dig it i dig that a lot yeah it also stays out of the way of the vibes i mean this game has such a strong vibe and it reminds me of subnautica and outer wilds those two games of recent games that i've played have such a similar energy where they're largely silent. You're just out exploring. You find these beautiful and evocative new spaces and you gradually uncover a story. And I love games like that. I mean, 
it's it's interesting that in this game your primary interaction is to shoot things. You shoot doors, to open them. Yeah, you that's how you blast open doors. You shoot enemy stuff. or blast mostly animals. Blame the shows just... for that. They design their doors that way. I don't know why, <laughs> but you gotta shoot them to open them. Um, so Samus lands and just immediately begins blasting every animal in sight. And you know, it's I mean, like the, the, it's like Danny DeVito and Always Sunny. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it started blasting. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> You're picturing Samus telling this story in a bar. Yeah, so anyway. So anyway, I started blasting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I landed, I got out of my ship, and I started blasting. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, that is very much feels like a 3D uh, version of what the 2D games do, because also in the 2D games, she's just running around blasting. That's what Samus does. Yeah, where the only, the only way she has to interact with the world is also shooting at doors or aliens. Right. Yeah. And you can look at a game like Outer Wilds and say and, and see what would, what would happen if this game didn't have shooting. It would just be the same vibes, the same exploration, the same general feeling of, you know, the floating, bouncing exploration without shooting anything. And it'd be great. Like, this game doesn't actually really need the combat. As fun as it is to jump around and shoot it at everything, and the bosses' fights are okay, they're pretty cool. But really, like, the the magic of this game is the first time that you drop into the submerged, like, sub subaquatic area... The music changes, this gorgeous track comes on, and then you get sucked into something, and usually, I feel like the game is designed to do this, you blast it with your blaster and you see Samus's face reflect back yeah. at you in your visor, and it's magic. I mean, that's that's the magic of the game. I guess that did involve a blaster to see her face, but maybe you could have a flashlight that would make that happen in the non-violent <laughs> version of this. I'm not complaining about the fact that you shoot things. I think it's fine. Um, yeah. But it... I think the fact that Outer Wilds exists, and actually for that matter, Subnautica, another game that does not have any guns, exists, just shows how potent the just exploration, beautiful mm-hmm. world, mystery vibes are. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's interesting you say that, that that's what you find to be the magic of this game, because I find the magic of this game to be... Uh, that shooting stuff? You, yeah, shooting stuff <laughs> in the face. No, yeah. that you get to a new area and you're like, hey, this this thing looks taller than I could reach with my jump. Maybe mm. I'll be able to get a double jump around here. Or, <laughs> hey, what are these like magnetic rail things? Maybe yeah. I'll get something that'll let me go, like get on it somehow. That, mm. to me, has always been the really appealing thing about Metroid slash Metroidvania slash whatever you want to call it, these types of games. And actually, that that ties into like why I I've always hated the Samus loses all her powers at the beginning thing because mm-hmm. one of the things that's really that I really love about this stuff the same and the same applies for like Zelda dungeons is getting to a new area and then being surprised and delighted by the new thing you're gonna get and knowing at the very beginning that like oh well there's a grapple hook mechanic so I guess I'll get that at some <laughs> point is it's kind of takes away from the magic of that um, but that said Metroid Prime still has plenty of stuff that like surprises and delights you even because you don't have everything at the very start just a couple of things that you lose yeah but 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 i think that that i i've always found to be the most appealing thing about this game and games like it is like that kind of steady uh accumulation of not just like not things that make you more powerful but things that let you do cool open new new possibilities Mm -hmm. yeah exactly especially the double jump double jump is the best i get that feeling i don't always feel that way with this game i'm i certainly do uh, at moments. I mean, I think the moment when you get the double jump in this game is so exciting because 
there are so many places where I'd wanted to use it yeah, that exactly. I can't even keep them all straight. And it feels really good. Uh-huh. It's yeah. a yeah. good and feeling. And that's true. Amazing. The game yeah. feel in general is incredible. The first Her person double jump feels jumping. amazing. In that. I know. Yes. And it, 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 I've played so many bad first person platformers in my life that make me feel motion sick or terrible. And, and so it's just, it stands out so much to me when I'm playing one where exactly. I'm like, I understand exactly where I'm jumping. I'm yeah, never yeah. questioning that. And if I don't make a jump, I know it. As it's happening, I'm extremely aware. Yeah, which is a really, really quite a feat. Yes. Uh, making a first-person yeah. game that like makes that work. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really quite an. Accomplishment. I do wish. I do wish the field of vision was a little bit wider on this. There are times where I feel a little claustrophobic in first person, especially uh-huh. af- right after uh-huh. I've been zoomed out to third person. Well, you're wearing a spacesuit and you have to be able to breathe, Kirk. So I don't know okay. what you're talking about, and <laughs> you should probably just accept it. That is actually a benefit of Prime Hack <laughs> is that Prime Hack has an adjustable FOV, uh, which Ooh. is nice. Uh, because you can just not feel quite so claustrophobic, cramped up. I only played this in in handheld, so I think maybe playing on a screen though, I would I would maybe start to feel a little funny. Oh, see, I am playing it with the pro controller on my super nice monitor, which is an experience I recommend, just so that you can mm. like really stare at those water droplets on Samus's visor or whatever, or on yeah. her arm cannon. You can just really get into it. Yeah. <laughs> and those good are lovely. Stuff. But to the upgrades, I guess there are times where I always feel like I got one upgrade, but it wasn't enough. It's mm-hmm. it's part of the it's kind of built into the system where you get an upgrade. Now there's one new place you can go, but there's still three places you can't go. And this is especially sure. true in the first half of the game, which yeah. can actually be sort of a frustrating feeling. It's not a bad thing. Like the game it wants you to feel frustrated because you want to. Yeah, you know, I mean, know I there like are places you feeling. can't go. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but in a fun way. Where you're yeah, like, I don't, God damn I don't it. mind that because you know eventually you're going <laughs> to yeah, yeah. be able to get there. Yeah, I I'm think, not. I'm not doing this as good. This is bad. I'm more exploring the different feelings this game inspires in me, and that is one of them. Sure, sure. Yeah, like like productive frustration where you're like. Dang it! I have the double jump, but now what the heck is this door? Like, what yeah, even is there that? Is, there is a good reason to make a player feel frustrated in a game. Like, it mm-hmm. can be a healthy, a healthy part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is also why I slightly disagree with you, Jason. And I actually think it's really fun that Samus has all of her powers at the beginning of the game because it's telling you this is what her normal experience is like in life is going around having this really freaking awesome suit that can do all of this (laughs) stuff and when she loses her powers it's frustrating for her too so that you as the player get to share in the experience of exploring the world along with her and you're Mm -hmm. literally in her shoes so like if you're annoyed that makes sense because the same thing is happening for her (laughs) i don't know man she just misjudged that one jump She just had been a little careful. She She just kind of falls. She wouldn't have lost every single power of her suit. (laughs) It's not that I'm annoyed, to be clear. Like, what what I don't like about that is that it removes the magic of discovery of those specific powers. Like, now you you know know there is a There's a grapple hook in the game. Yeah, that's right. You're comparing it to Zelda, where in Zelda you get the powers one at a time. Imagine if in Zelda, in, like, Wind Waker, it was like, oh, there's this, like, cool leaf thing I can use, Mm -hmm. and now it's getting taken away, but now I know it's in the game. Like, it would just be annoying. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. And it does kind of feel weird to me that I now know exactly what a grappling hook point looks like. And when you're exactly. like going across Magmore Caverns, you're like, well, eventually I'm going to be able to just grapple my exactly. way across this it whole thing. It would be thing. much more fun if you didn't know if that you were like, when you got there. That? What exactly. even is that? Yeah, I, I see I Well, see and that's why, I mean, I think that that's why like Metroid Dread, for example, doesn't do it because I think it recognizes. Well, you do lose your powers at the beginning of Metroid Dread. You just don't fully understand what all of them are. But you do get smacked down by the mysterious chosen general at the beginning of Metroid Dread. Yeah, but you don't... Yes, Mm -hmm. but again, that's not what annoys me. What annoys me is learning all this stuff. And um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what a lot of Metroid Prime 4 does with all these kind of tropes and and ideas and mechanics because that, of course, is in development at Retro Studios right now and who knows when it's going to come out. But uh, Mm -hmm. but it is... Mm -hmm. This is a big vote of confidence for that game (laughs) just because of how good it looks. I know. The best looking Switch game I've ever played. One little tidbit for you guys. I recently learned um, from someone uh, who knows that Metroid Prime Remastered was finished in 2021 and it was just mm. sitting on a shelf and not released, which is so bizarre and something that like I think only Nintendo does because most companies are just scrambling to finish their games mm-hmm. and like polish well, and like patch and like get as much as possible and like slipping six weeks because of it and like have to like look at I don't know anything Jedi Survivor just had to slip a few weeks to like fix right. bugs and finish the game. This game is sitting on a shelf for a year. And well, it helps that Metroid Prime was already done. <laughs> That's true, but yes. still, remastered. Most people, oh, most I game know. companies yeah, they are like releasing games out. that are done. I don't think Dead Space yeah. Remake was Dead just sitting on a shelf. Dead Space was not sitting on a shelf for was. a year. Nintendo is really the only company yeah. that does this. It's pretty wild. Well, but my follow-up question, which you may not have the answer to, is were they perhaps planning on also releasing 2 and 3 at the exact same time, and then eventually it became clear that they couldn't, and they were like, let's just put out 1. No, the plan, I don't think that, well, I don't know for sure, but I I know that that, um, Retro worked directly on this game, and I think the idea was like, we want to set this bar for Metroid Prime 4, we want Metroid Prime 4 to like maybe use these assets or maybe at least hit this quality bar in terms of visual and feel and stuff like that. So it was a good kind of like way to, to... hit that to test that out and to hit mm-hmm. that kind of like set that standard for themselves. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I haven't heard anything about them also doing two and three. So I don't know if that's in the cards. Um, I don't know why it was sitting around. Maybe the idea was like to have it closer to whenever Metroid Prime four comes out right. in terms of release schedule, but we don't know when that'll be. Right. Um, but no, as far as I know, they weren't like planning on remake two and remaking two and three as well although i don't know for sure i i don't know if there there's a team somewhere doing that as well or if they're just going to release like ports of those because they could do that too right like it's like here's what we wanted to do with one we wanted to like really do the whole crazy visual treatment and we want to set the bar for ourselves for four but two and three we'll just make those playable as ports like that's Mm -hmm. very possible with the twin stick controls and all the other yeah, with with what they are, just yeah. like release them. By the way, fun fact: you can actually play Metroid Prime Remastered with motion controls, like with the yes. Wii controls. So yeah, maybe if they release two and three, maybe they'll be able to do that. I mean, I feel like they too. will. So there's multiple controls 
schemes in this. There's four, apparently. I haven't tried them all because I've just been playing it the normal way. Like, what? Uh-huh. I'm not going to get my Wiimote out of the basement for this. I I, <laughs> I don't need to do well, that. Well, no. <laughs> it's not the Wiimote. No, you do it with I'm not going to use the Joy-Con either. I yeah. honestly, yeah. <laughs> I, I pointed my arm at a screen to be Samus's blaster for long enough in my life. No, yeah. I, I waved my Wiimote around for Link Sword and Twilight Princess. I, I remember those times and I don't need to go uh-huh. back to that. Uh-huh, I'm good. Uh-huh. And Skyward but, Sword, yep. But glad they glad glad it's in there, just so that people out there who are especially playing it for the first time and want to feel what that was like, they can have that experience. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I I play so many Steam Deck games now with the gyro mm-hmm. controls, like as a mouse, sure. which makes first person games really great, especially if they have good integrated mouse controls. And there is another control version in this where you are playing twin stick, but you can also turn it so that the motion controls just move the camera. Which I'm not actually using. It could be really cool, but you don't really need it because the lock-on is so strong in this game and you use it all the time. I'm finding I don't mm-hmm. need it. But it's really nice that they give that option. I have really grown accustomed to handheld, like, thumbstick aims, but you can fine-tune your aim with gyro. That's a mm-hmm. really great kind of aiming combination. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it might be useful against specific bosses. Like, I think it's... I think. That boss is called Shigoth, the one where you're supposed to be hitting her in the head, but the lock-on mm-hmm. doesn't connect to her head. It connects to like the part is of the one who not supposed to shoots hit. frozen ice. Yeah, yeah. I actually used ball bombs to kill that boss. I just kept rolling in and dropping bombs and rolling. That out would work. It's either it that work. or missiles. But if you yeah. shoot her with charge beams, it's not going to work. No. Jason, nope. I don't know if you're up to her yet. I'll, I'll give you some tips off the air. But it's a very deceptive. No, fight. not yet, but. But I did see a she-goth at Hot Topic the other day. Oh, sure, mm, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Got to be careful. <laughs> with, the, with the ice breath. Yeah, we all, we all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just to kind of talk about the bosses for a second, it is a very Nintendo thing to have each boss be a puzzle of that kind where, like, you have mm-hmm. to figure out over the course of fighting them based on their behavior. Like, oh, if I hit her in her back, she, like, charges up and hits me even more. Maybe I should stop doing that. Maybe mm-hmm. I should try hitting her somewhere else and see if that works. But I also really like that it just plays into the part of Samus that is observing, like, yeah. Early on, I can't remember the name. I think it's like Flagra, the one that's charged up by all the solar powered it's a great fight. things uh, the, all around it. And you have to like keep knocking down the solar power so that the boss shrivels up. And that is also something where it's just you just have to look around the room and observe what's going on in order to figure out what to do. I mean, also scanning the boss. You have to scan the boss. Yeah, I mean, yes. yeah, the key the every time is, is the... to scan the boss and it tells you how to be. But the also, boss. there's some environmental. Mm-hmm. observations required yes. of you to be like okay what what do i do here what what am i supposed to do and there's nearly always something in your environment that will tell you that information mm-hmm. and i just really dig it i dig it when a game gives me the tools i need to survive <laughs> it's, it's so good. much subtle stuff i mean it's just the way that nintendo games like this style of game just communicates so so well i mean there's a literacy to it but it's speaking a language like you're reading the language that it's writing yeah and it writes the language so clearly and so playfully you know just watching that creature knock back down the solar panels if you yep. wait too long you kind of yep. just really understand what's going on and then of course mm-hmm. there's one and then there's two and there's three and then there's four and you're like oh my god, like, oh my god. Yeah. and there's four places where you can become morph ball because you know right. there's always a place where a morph ball can go i mean talk about the chozo setting up those doors 
They've always got places for a morph ball. <laughs> the big rock enemy, like it starts with its weak points on its limbs, and then eventually, yep. as it gets stronger and stronger, its weak point is in its chest. So you know that you're near the end. Like there are all these little mm-hmm. ways that the game communicates with you that are just very subtle and elegant, and you don't even think about them unless you're thinking about them. And mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 wonderful. This is such a wonderful game. I'm really glad that everyone can play it. Yeah, it's worth noting real quick to your point, Maddie. You mentioned before that it was made by Retro Studios and in. Kind of, I forgot the word you use, but that Nintendo oversight. I think Nintendo had a pretty big involvement with this game. They had yeah, producers I think I said from partnered. I think that yeah, was the partnered. verb I went with. <laughs> yeah, I think they had they had producers from NCL, Nintendo Japan, coming out all the time and checking in on the progress and mm-hmm. and offering notes and stuff. And Tanabe, well, um, and Kenji Yamamoto the music is like such a huge part of this game. Oh my god. The music is so good. Um, yes, the music <laughs> is huge. And uh, they also had Nintendo's facilities for testing and stuff, which is a big part of what makes Nintendo games Nintendo. So um, I think it's it's worth noting that this was very heavily mm-hmm. Nintendo influenced and mm-hmm. you can really feel that. Um, it's really the perfect kind of collaboration between like Western styles and Japanese styles in a way yeah. that you don't really see with a lot of video games. I guess on that note, I'll just say... Everybody in the world should play this game. It's the greatest game ever. I have no complaints. Everything I said about the autosaving was a lie. I was kidding. <laughs> um, it's perfect. And uh, let's <laughs> take a little break and come back with one more thing. I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests and bring them down to our level. We get stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Can I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon. Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel. What's the best Disney song? We Got This with Mark and Hal. Every week on Maximum Fun, we do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this. We are back with one more thing, and I would go first, but I've I feel like I've already talked a lot. Jason, why don't why don't you go first today? Tell us your one more thing. Sure, I have a very very exciting uh, one more. Yeah, thing. you do. I'm extremely yeah. excited about this. So, uh, longtime listeners of this show and Split Screen will know that the. documentary about the making of Broken Age from Double Fine, it's called the Double Fine Adventure documentary, is one of my favorite pieces of media ever. It's like... It's so good. It's so good. I've watched it through like... Is it the best thing ever other than your books about game development? It might be. I think it's the best thing ever about game development in terms of just like getting an insight for how games are really showing more in depth than anything ever. Like Mm -hmm. my books, I mean, I'm proud of my books, but like those are based on me interviewing people after the fact. This is a documentary crew that was on scene for three years of the making of this game and has thousands of hours of footage. There's nothing else like it. Like I, nothing else can compare. 
Um, that said, they they are being paid by the studio, so they don't have quite the same kind of level of uh, like third party neutral uh, uh, bird's eye view as a journalist might have. But still, it is pretty raw. Anyway, the same production company, Two Player Productions, just came out with a documentary about Psychonauts Two, which has been uh, in the works. This documentary has for. I don't know, six years, seven years. It mm-hmm. starts, if you start it, um, it's all on YouTube for free right now. It's in 32 parts. It's 22 hours long. 32 it starts, parts. It starts. We feast. We are going to feast on game development insights. <laughs> yes. Show us the pain. Show us the frustration. It starts in 2015. So just to give you a sense of the scale of this wow. thing. It's many, many hours of footage. It's an incredible story. I'm almost done. I'm like two-thirds of the way in, maybe a little further, maybe three-fourths of the way Note in. Note to self, the next time Jason says he doesn't have time to do something for the show. <laughs> Just watched 20 hours of a documentary in three days. Uh-huh, <laughs> wow. uh-huh, uh-huh. Wasn't that excited about watching the live-action Mario movie for you're some good. reason? You're, you're fine to choose how you spend your time, Jason. <laughs> well, uh, I'm watching it. Kirk, I'm watching it during the workday because I'm planning on writing. Oh, it's work, is it? definitely work. Watching sure. Die Hard isn't work? <laughs> um, we're not here to talk about where, how I spend my time. We're here to talk about <laughs> Talking about Murray, Jason has or hasn't watched. Um, where was I? So <laughs> being being <laughs> documentary. I mean, it's like if you enjoyed the first one, you will enjoy this one. Yeah, yeah I'm really um, because pumped. it's incredible. It's incredibly well done. It's got incredible storytelling. It's empathetic and uh, thought provoking and emotional and. These guys, I mean, two player production, the people behind it must have been pinching themselves at the drama they got on this project because Psychonauts 2 is one of the most turbulent productions in oh, yeah. like modern history. And so I won't spoil exactly what happens, but uh, some of the things that people will know for the most part are that Microsoft purchased Double Fine in the middle of it, that Starbreeze, the publisher that originally worked on Double Fine, like went through bankruptcy and, and all sorts of issues in Sweden. Um, and also there's some personnel stuff that the documentary really goes in depth on. There's like, you can see some like real serious tensions and creative conflicts and kind of like personnel issues with certain members of the team, just like not getting along. And you see the results of that and they are not kind of resolved in a tidy manner. They are handled in the way that most human conflicts are and that like you can watch this and and think to yourself, wow, these two people are probably never going to talk again after this. Mm. And like, wow, these relationships are like completely irreparable. And it is, it is pretty wild. Um, There is some stuff, just as a kind of caveat to that, there is some stuff that, like, the documentary, even they weren't able to get into. Cameras weren't allowed in some meetings. Like, don't expect to see, like, behind-the-scenes looks at the negotiation of the Microsoft deal or anything like that. That said, there is a whole episode that goes behind the scenes on, like, Tim Schafer, like, waiting backstage before he's about to announce that they're being acquired by Microsoft and get to see him getting super nervous. And it's really uh, endearing. And, man, there's just so much good stuff in here. And it's just such a, like, a phenomenal look at the reality of making games and how hard it is. And 
it's especially like I mentioned before, after hearing that like retro just had this sitting on a shelf for a year and a half, whereas in comparison to this, where they're like fighting for every week and they're like, oh my God, we cannot finish this in the four weeks we have left. It's really just quite a, quite a contrast. Anyway, we'll post a link in the show notes because it's all available for free right now on YouTube. All you have to do is like go to Double Fine's YouTube page and you'll find this entire 32 part epic series. And I highly recommend that anyone who cares about games, even if you don't care about Psychonauts, too which you should because it's a great game Mm -hmm. but even if you just care about games it's still entertaining enough to watch it um highly highly recommend it everybody should go out and watch it like right now yeah yeah. i'm really psyched to drive in but uh i didn't have time because i was watching a different movie uh which i'll talk about now it was called tar (laughs) really weird movie so uh neither of you two have seen this movie right i'm very familiar with it but have not yet no Yeah, that was also my situation. And I kind of wish it hadn't been. Um, I wish I had known nothing about it going in. So if you're a listener who knows. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say, I wish I hadn't watched it. Wish I hadn't watched it. (laughs) Wish I had never seen it. No, that's not really true. Um, I'm glad I saw it. Really strange movie, though. Kind of a horror movie, but not in the typical way. It's sort of like a human drama horror where it's like boy, this is a really crappy person that I'm spending a couple hours with in this movie, but also bad things are happening to her and I'm maybe rooting for them to happen to her, but also I don't know how to feel about any of it. It's a movie where you end and you're like, I don't know how I felt about anything I just Mm. saw. (laughs) So here is is what it is about. It is about uh, a famous director, fictional director, Lydia Tarr. Yes. Okay, so she's a conductor, she's a composer, she's an Mm -hmm. EGOT winner, least believable part of the movie to me. Immediately (laughs) broke my immersion as soon as I heard she was an EGOT winner, and I was like, I don't understand how that's possible. I need more information about that. But don't let that hang you up. She's really mostly a conductor. And she's got being Emmy, Oscar, Emmy, Grammy, Grammy, Oscar. She's a composer. That's that's pretty doable if you're a composer. Yes. But part of why it's not believable is because she yeah, Yeah. Kirk's achieved it. But he's (laughs) he's that's seven deaths, whatever. Few years (laughs) running. Yeah. Uh, so part of why Lydia Tarr, who's played by Kate Blanchett, uh, by the way, um, part of why it's a little unbelievable to me that she would be an EGOT winner is because she's presented as like a classical music conductor. Uh, and composer who sort of emulates classical music in, in her compositions. And so the idea that she would win a Tony is that's odd the, to that's me. That's the biggest stretch. You never yeah. know. Like some high concept Broadway thing. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of have to go with that. You're like, okay, yeah, I can yeah. see how maybe she would have Whatever. won an Emmy and a Grammy. I needed them to explain more. <laughs> mm-hmm. But don't be like me. You got to just get into this for the vibes. So the deal with it is, is the vibes movie. Kate Blanchett, she is a lesbian. That's a key part of like how she's perceived is that she's like this high profile female conductor who's like somehow achieved all of this wild stuff in her career, despite being a woman and a lesbian. And she's super rich and super out of touch with the regular world, but also is held up as this icon to, Mm. you know, young people coming up and she's still trying to relate to them. And um, something that I knew about this movie going in was that it would be about her getting canceled and what happens to her after that. But it's really not about that at all. She doesn't get canceled till like the end of the movie. Mm. (laughs) 
And so forget that if that's what you're going in on. And instead, just think of this as a vibes movie about bad stuff happening to her and her being kind of a weird person. And also it being a horror movie where scary, spooky stuff happens and you aren't sure what's real. And there's like kind of a magical realism element to some of it where you're like, was that a dream? There's some of that. Interesting. Okay. So I don't know. I think it's I will, really strange. It sounds like I will never watch this. Movie. You should maybe I watch, watch it. Absolutely. You should maybe watch it. It's interesting. Because it's really weird. And, and I don't know that it's. Yeah. I, um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's I'm going to try to watch all the best picture movies. I don't get the screeners like you do. Yeah. So no, you guys I get do, the screeners. So I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. It's weird. I think Tar um, might also, be streaming. It might be like on. I think HBO it's streaming right at this point. I feel like the main reason I watched it is because um, Lydia Tar is sort of like a joke on the internet at this point. She's like a meme where people pretend she's a real person, mm. and people are like talking about how bad it was that she got canceled and so on. And like she's sort <laughs> of like a a joke. And I was like, sure. I want to see the movie. And the movie is like so not the vibe of the meme, and mm. it was kind of <laughs> funny to watch it. Um, and also I'm a little jealous of the people who watched this movie and thought it was based on a true story and were like, who's Lydia Tarr? Because I know too much about the politics of the real world. And I'm like, it's sad to me that people think that there's like a noted super rich lesbian EGOT winner that they hadn't heard of. Like, I'm, I'm a little jealous of those people. Sadly, it would be kind of cool if she were real, even if she is a bad person. Um, but she's not. Anyway, Kirk, what, (laughs) what's your one more thing? Um, I'll go quick. My one more thing is a TV show that I've been watching the last few weeks that I'm just loving and didn't really know about until Emily, my partner, just started watching it one night at random. I was playing some game on the Steam Deck, so I wasn't really watching the show. We do this sometimes, the parallel play thing where I'll play Mm -hmm, a game mm -hmm. and she watches a show. She kind of, I think, just picked it out on HBO. This is an HBO Max streaming show. And started watching it, and I looked up, and I was like, oh, what's this? And you know, and then every now and then I'd pause and watch a scene, and every single time I did that, the scene was laugh-out-loud funny. So there came a point where I was like, okay, this show is clearly really funny. I kind of want to watch it from the beginning. So that's what I've been doing. The show is called Southside. It is a half-hour sitcom set on the south side of Chicago. It is created by and featuring an entirely black cast. It is like super neighborhood-specific, super culturally specific to Chicago, a city that I know fairly well from having grown up in Indiana, but obviously not that well. I never lived there and never lived on the south side. And it's so funny. It's so good. And I think a lot of people listening to this probably won't have heard of it or won't have seen it. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it till you mentioned it to me. And now I would like to watch it. So it's created by two guys, Bashir Salahuddin and Diallo Riddle, who are both on the show. Almost everybody mm-hmm. who like writes and works on it stars on it. And then it's a real family affair. So Sultan Salahuddin, who's Bashir's brother, he plays another main character. Um, and Chandra Russell, who's married to Bashir, plays his partner. The two of them play cops, but they're these like bumbling, corrupt idiot cops who are very, very funny. Bashir Salahuddin is like the funniest guy. He's just the ultimate chump and he's always getting chumped on the show. Um, and then Kareem Young is Kareem and Quincy on the show. They're twin brothers. And then Zuri Salahuddin plays Stacey. She's their sister. So like so many people on this show are related. So they're all just, you get this feeling that it's this big group of people who are all friends and family and they're all just screwing around and having fun. And I've read some interviews with them um, since discovering the show. And of course, there's lots of people out there talking about it. Be like, the show is great. And their idea going in was to make a show with the vibe of The Simpsons that takes a kind of Simpsons approach to storytelling and ensemble 
uh, madcap antics but and then applies action, that right, right to a live yeah, action yeah, yeah. show. Yeah, wow. So you okay. get the two main characters, Simon and um, Kay Kareem. They're uh, repo guys for a like rent-to-own furniture store. And then, like I said, the other two of the other main characters are cops who are just kind of mm-hmm. always around in the neighborhood. So you get these characters who have a reason to be going a lot of different places, which is a really great narrative setup. Okay, they're repo guys, so they're just going to walk into who knows where this week. But then it really quickly becomes higher and higher concept. There have been three seasons now. And by the second season, there's an episode where the whole thing is a remake of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where... Um, Turner and this one actress like run off the set of the actress's cop show that she's making and they and it just recreates a ton of scenes from Ferris Bueller's Day Off but with a kind of Southside Afrocentric view that's really cool Um, Mm -hmm. there's I don't know there's like it gets totally ridiculous every episode Um, Mm -hmm. you know supernatural stuff will happen there's like a couch that if you look inside of it it shows you the meaning of the universe it's very Simpsonsy in that way where yeah. yeah It has that kind of Simpsons vibe where Ferris Bueller, of course, set in Chicago. Yes, and uh, right, that's why they they did that. And then there's also a lot of Chicago stuff that I just don't know. I didn't know what stepping was. There, there are so many things you will learn watching this show. And then I'll ask my friends who've lived in Chicago, "Hey, do you know about this place?" Or like that. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's totally a Chicago thing." Which is cool. just fun to watch something that's like very specific to one area. So mm-hmm. mostly though, it's just funny. I mean. I don't know. I've been watching a little bit of Mythic Quest season three. And like that show's interesting, but I just don't find myself laughing that much. And then going and watching a sitcom where it's just like every joke is really funny. And sometimes I'm like laughing and laughing at the jokes because it's just like hilarious people being hilarious over and over again um, is, is just a really wonderful thing. So felt like there'd probably be some people out there who haven't heard of it and want mm-hmm. a like lighthearted 30-minute sitcom to watch, if that's you. Southside, it's on HBO Max. Uh, I, I can't that recommend it enough. That was my next question. HBO it's Max. It's really, really good. Gonna yep. watch cool. it. Someone. Gonna check it out. After mm-hmm. I finish this 32-part, uh, whatever the heck. Right. First 22 <laughs> hours of Psychonauts 2. <laughs> then you Christ. can maybe break it up with occasional episodes of Southside. It's a good side dish. Cool. All right. Well, we've done it again. Greatest we episode. Sure about the greatest game ever made. Yeah. What a treat. We what a treat. But we won't. Then we got to do a Metroid Prime episode out of nowhere. <laughs> hey. That's wonderful. Yeah, what a treat. Lovely. And Maddie didn't right. even have to win a bet. I no, know. Just, I got to just experience this just for fun. We all got to just really? play we're, it. Really? We're talking about Dead Space and Metroid Prime. It's like all the games that you and I have picked for our bets in years we I know, lost. It's actually <laughs> really funny. Well, uh, just wait. I mean, you know what else is getting remastered this uh, year? We don't know. I don't know. We're out of time. And, uh, <laughs> well, oh, look we'll at that. see you Gotta next go. week, everybody, for another episode of Triple No, Final Fantasy Tactics. Just wait, you guys. No, I'm excited. I would play that. All right. But seriously, though, see you guys next week. Yep. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.